You will eat abundantly and be satisfied. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has done wonders for you. And my people will never again be put to shame. You will know that I am in the midst of Israel. And that I am the Lord your God. No other exists. Never again will my people be put to shame. After that, I will pour out my Spirit upon everyone. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Amy. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. Pursue love and use your ambition to try to get spiritual gifts, but especially so that you might prophesy. This is because those who speak in a tongue don't speak to people, but to God. No one understands it. They speak mysteries by the Spirit. Those who prophesy speak to people, building them up and giving them encouragement and comfort. People who speak in a tongue build up themselves. Those who prophesy build up the church. I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but I'd rather you could prophesy. Those who prophesy are more important than those who speak in tongues, unless they are able to interpret them so that the church might be built up. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Bill. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading. It's found in John 4, 16 through 19. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Remain standing as we pray. So, Father, I ask that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you and that you would use this time, Lord, to let your word take root inside of us that your spirit would breathe upon us even as we hear your words to us, that you would awaken your work in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are in part five of a series on the Holy Spirit, and we, we started doing this series because Uh, Well, for a number of reasons, but I think the Holy Spirit is sometimes a subject that uh, for some of us, we're like, well, I've heard about this, I've, I'm familiar with, with, with uh, the, the term or the name, the Holy Spirit, but I don't know too much else. Uh, others of you might say, oh, I know all about the Holy Spirit, and you can point to an experience in your life or a particular event. And my hope is for both groups of people uh, to, during this series to kind of have 
a freshness in your heart about the Holy Spirit, to be able to look at the text with fresh eyes, to begin to allow the, the work of the Spirit in your life to be something that is renewed in you. And so whether it, it's been an ongoing thing or whether it's been a one-time thing a long time ago or whether it's been a, a, really a non-existent thing, for all of us the hope is that there would be a hunger kind of awakened in our hearts to say, I want to know the Lord through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so we began in week one using this phrase, from the creed, which is this Christian confession of faith, of what we believe. And we use this, this phrase that, that refers to the Spirit as the Lord, the giver of life. And so in week one, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. This is not some nebulous force out there. This is the person, the third person of the Trinity. And we talked about as the giver, His work is present, continuous. He is the giver, not the one who gave. And then we talked about life as in the power of the Spirit to create Create in us a newness of life and even an advanced tasting of the life of the world to come. And then in week two, we said, well, well, hang on a minute. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus say it was good that He would go away so that we might receive this companion, this one that would guide us into truth and convict us of sin and all of those things? And then in week three, we kind of followed the story into the beginning of the book of Acts. Where Jesus says, okay, I'm about to leave, but if you wait, you're going to receive power. And we said, power for what? Power to be witnesses. And that witnesses means, yes, a language and a way of sharing our faith, but also a way of living that would not make sense unless Jesus really is the reigning, uh, the, the reigning king. And so we talked about what that means a couple weeks ago. And then to follow that, this power to live a different kind of life, last week we followed it up by saying, okay, what about these gifts? What about these things that Paul talks about? Do we have to care? Do, are these sort of extra credit? Can't I just be like base level? Do I have to go for the premium package Christian faith thing? Or can I go basic? Won't it cost me less? And, and we've discovered that, no, look, look, the point of these gifts is not for some kind of extra credit. It's actually not to make you a more spiritual person. It's instead to allow the grace of God that you received to flow out of you to others. In fact, the Corinthians, so we've, we've been using, last week we used 1 Corinthians 12 and a bit of 1 Corinthians 13, and this week we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. The Corinthians were very concerned with how can I be a spiritual person? They had a phrase for this, and Paul kind of dodges that phrase and says, no, let's speak about this with a different language. It's not about being a spiritual person, it's about having the graces, the gifts of God working in you. So last week we said a spiritual gift is a sign of the grace of God at work through us for the sake of others. Signs of the grace of God. The reason we're linking gift and grace is because in the New Testament those words are related. The charis of grace and the charism or charismata of these gifts. They are meant to be together so that every time a person has been transformed by the grace of God, the gifts of the Spirit begin to come out of them. This is for everyone. And it's for everyone so that other people can begin to experience the grace of God. That it doesn't just stay with us or end with us. 
The other thing we said last week that's important to kind of recap today is we said, you know, gift giving in the ancient world is reciprocal. It doesn't just end with the person that you give a gift to. Okay, so for example, in our day, if someone were to give you a gift and they were sort of hoping that when the time came, you know, that you would do the same for them, you would say, well, that's not really a gift. Right? You say, well, that's obligation, or you might say worse things, like that's manipulation, right? And in the West, we sort of think that an ideal gift is a gift that comes with no strings attached. But in the ancient world, and indeed in the East, or if you've lived in the global South, you know that gift giving is meant to sort of create a relationship, or even to reinforce the relationship. I show you what you mean to me by bringing this meal to you. And kind of the idea is that when you return the dish, you return it with food in it back for me, so that I'll know that you care about me too. And on and on it goes. And so the question is, okay, so, so what does God hope to gain by giving us these gifts, by these graces arriving in us? And last week we said, look, the way we return it to God, we return God's gifts upward to, to God in praise and outward toward others in service. Upward toward God in praise and outward toward others in service. This morning, I was talking with our children's ministry director, uh, Catherine Sanchez, and so, you know, last week we invited you to take a step out and serve and join one of our teams. The teams are listed in, even in the booklet that you received today, and, and she said, please tell them that one of the reasons we, we want more people to discover and develop their gifts in service is because we want people to be able to take seasons of cycling on and off these teams. Um, sometimes you'll find out that churches really they, they want your help and then they want to use it all up until you got nothing left and then you burn out and they're like okay well sorry okay who else wants to come and serve <laughs> and people are like not me <laughs> right but to truly be a church that says no, no no listen every opportunity to serve whether formal or informal official or unofficial whether it's in the city or on our team that's going to Swaziland or in the church on any of these teams, any opportunity to serve is truly a place where you can discover and develop your gifts. If we're really going to be that kind of church, that means we have to allow people the space to say, you know what, I think I need to take a little break from this. I need to strengthen my own, my own life with the Lord, and that's okay. But here's, here's how it works. For people to cycle off the team, we need others to cycle on the team. To say, okay, it's my turn now. I'm going to give six months to this. I'm going to give, uh, you know, a portion of the year to this. So, uh, Catherine wanted me to pass on that she's still accepting people to sign up for children's ministry today. Okay. This morning, nervous laughter, thank you. Um, <laughs> you're secretly signing up for meal groups. We're secretly assigning you nursery. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about two gifts in particular, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, Paul talks about these two gifts, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. Actually, in 1 Corinthians 12, he lists all kinds of different gifts. And, 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 and later on, when we have a time of prayer, we're going to have time for, um, for prayer for all of the gifts. But we're specifically focusing on these two because these are two that Paul gives particular attention to. Okay? And for our purposes this morning, you can think of it this way. The gift of prophecy, we're going to talk about it in a communal sense, in what it means for the church together, the gathered church. And then the gift of tongues has both applications, but we're going to specifically talk about its devotional use and its personal application. So I think each of these gifts freaks people out. 
And you say prophecy and people are like, oh, you know. And either you want it because like you've, you know, you want to know if you should do this business deal or not, you know. Or you're afraid of it because like that's just for like super spiritual people. You know, I, I had muggle parents and so I don't really, my magical powers are not as developed. And... Thank you. Glad you got it. There are some myths and misconceptions about the gift of prophecy. One of the myths about prophecy is that it is all about predicting the future. And it's not primarily about predicting the future. I hope you'll see that in a moment. But the other myth is this thing that it is, just for more spiritual people. Well, I want to back up and give you a bit of context. In the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words used for prophet. The first is loosely translated a seer, someone who sees. And then the second is the one who speaks, a sayer, if you will. And so, in a way, if you put those two things together, the prophet role in the Old Testament is someone who sees and therefore says. Or we might say, someone who sees a different world and then says a different word. They see a different world and so they say a different word. In the midst of all that's happening in Jerusalem and all the false prophets are saying, peace, peace, peace. Jeremiah says, I'm sorry, I've seen something different going on. And so I'm going to speak a word of judgment. It's not going to be popular, but I see something different, so I say something Different. This begins to develop the prophetic role, and I think it, it carries into the way that the gift of prophecy works even in the New Testament, that there is some kind of revealing, some kind of uncovering. The gift of prophecy is a revelatory gift. It's a gift that unveils something. By speaking this out, you're saying, wait a minute, let's uncover this. So I want to say three things about the gift of prophecy for all of us as Christians. The first is this. Prophecy reveals Jesus and the mystery of the gospel. Now often when we're talking about the gift of prophecy, we want to jump right away to kind of the exciting things. If someone says, I saw this happening, and then sure enough, six months later, it actually happened and all that stuff. It's great. That is one of the uses, but we don't want to start there. We start by understanding that the New Testament says the prophet or the gift of prophecy is the gift of revealing who Jesus is and the mystery of the gospel. There's a book in our Bible called the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, literally the word there is the revealing, the uncovering, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Maybe one of the reasons we mistreat the book of Revelation is because we misunderstand what prophecy is for. So we think prophecy is all about knowing what's coming. Therefore, there's a whole book in the Bible that's going to tell us what's coming. Let's make charts. (laughs) And the book of Revelation is not about charts or timelines or any of that. The book of Revelation from verse 1 is the revealing of Jesus. And so the whole point of John's vision is to say, look, Christians, while you're being persecuted, while it looks like martyrs lose, I want to show you that the real victor is the one who is the lamb who was slain. The lamb who was slain is actually the lion who reigns. The the vision that John has is, look, this world's definition of winners and losers is all wrong. I've seen the truth. And John says, I'm pulling the curtain back. 
In fact, much of the book of Revelation isn't quite future-oriented until you get toward the last third or so of the book. Much of it is about just revealing what is. And John's saying, you know what is? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Paul, when he's talking to the church in Ephesus, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the same Spirit. What's Paul saying? He's saying these people, who we, we, all of us who are writing these letters to you, Paul's saying, me and Peter, and well, what we are, we're not just apostles as in leaders of the church, we're prophets. Why? Because a great mystery has been revealed to us. What mystery? The mystery of the gospel. And he goes on to talk about Gentiles and Jews being joined together. So before we say anything more, we have to understand that prophecy reveals Jesus and the mystery of the gospel. Revelation 19 says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus. Anytime we're revealing Jesus for who he is and the gospel for what it is, that is the gift of prophecy at work. That means preaching is oftentimes a part of the prophetic gift. So sometimes people say, well, how come we don't see prophecy in church? You kind of see it in in, in action every Sunday. Because if Jesus is being revealed to you and the mystery of the gospel is being unveiled to you, guess what's happening? The gift of prophecy is at work. Secondly, prophecy speaks the truth to power by revealing false gods and the true king. Now, this is another one of those things that's often not talked about when we talk about the gift of prophecy. What do you mean speaking the truth to power? Where, where do you get this from? Do you know who the Old Testament calls the greatest prophet? Moses. Like, Moses? How many visions did Moses have? You know, like, why not Isaiah? I mean, he had some pretty cool visions. What about Ezekiel and all the flying beasts and dry bones? And That's a prophet. Yes, But the Old Testament says, look, the mold of how we understand this calling of the prophet, it has to be shaped by Moses. Why? Because what Moses does is he confronts Pharaoh. And he says, Pharaoh, you think you're the ruler of the world. You're not. There is a God who created everything. And this God has called for himself a people. And he says, let them go, that they may worship And so Moses becomes the greatest prophet. Why? Because he speaks the truth to power. He unveils the false gods of Egypt. And we see this at work. We see this in the way Elijah confronts Ahab and Jezebel. We see this in the way Jesus has his encounter with Pilate. You know, sometimes I've had a few people say, Glenn, why can't you just be quiet about certain issues of injustice or why do you have to speak up for the weak? I mean, can't we just stick with the gospel? And I want to say, have you ever read (laughs) the gospel of John in particular? Because the same gospel of John that begins with the warm and fuzzy Nicodemus moment of for God so loved the world that who's ends with Jesus saying to Pilate, you would not have any power unless the Father gave it to you. Don't tell me that's not a showdown with political leaders. It absolutely is. I know we'd rather have a mousy church that just talks about a cute Jesus and private goosebumps and all of that stuff and just carry on and let 
you know, let these, this other sphere kind of do what it's going to do. But you can't do that. Because to be a prophet, to be a prophetic people is to speak the truth to power. Jesus cares about justice. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me so, so that I can preach good news to the poor and liberty for the captives. That means part of the mission of the church is not to have our little holy clubs, but to find places where the weak and the vulnerable and the marginalized and the oppressed are and to say, this should not be. So the gift of prophecy shows up when we speak the truth to power. The gift of prophecy shows up when we expose false gods. The book of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus. And by revealing Jesus, guess what it does? It shows the other gods as false. Do you know that the early Christians used all of these words for Caesar and applied them to Jesus? Son of God, Prince of Peace, Savior, Lord. Before they were used As Christian words, they were Roman propaganda words. And the early Christians said, yeah, that's not true. Yeah, you can't really give us peace. Nah, prosperity, can't deliver on that either. Safety, nope, can't deliver on that. The gift of prophecy allows us to expose false gods. And to say, that's a lie. That's not true. That's not right. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. It's the reason why Jesus in the end was crucified under charges of sedition from the Roman Empire. The the prophet is always cast out by power. Why? Because they spoke truth to power. See, when Paul says, I wish that everyone had this gift, there's a cost that comes with it. Thirdly, prophecy reveals God at work in a way that builds up, encourages, and comforts the people of God. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. Those who prophesy speak to people, building them up and giving them encouragement and comfort. Each of those three words, building up, giving, encouragement, and comfort, they're beautiful words that come with kind of an image to it. That word for build up literally is like building, the way someone might build a house. So the gift of prophecy shows up in us. Why? So that we can reveal God at work to people in a way that puts another brick in what God is building in their life. Isn't that cool? To say, man, I just have this thing for you. I think that the Lord is doing this in your life and it's just another brick in what God is doing there. It's like, wow, thanks for that. Whoa. Started out the day with two bricks. Now I got five because people just built me up today. This is awesome. Right? To give them encouragement. It's related to this word that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, this word paraclesis, the one called to come alongside to encourage. Come alongside someone, be an advocate. What if the gift of prophecy looks like just coming alongside someone going through a hard time and giving them a little hug, saying, hey man, I'm with you. What if that's the gift of prophecy? As simple as that. And then he says, to comfort them. This has this connotation of tenderness, of closeness, of nearness to someone. I imagine someone in a place of pain and and difficulty. Uh, Recently, and I had permission to share this story, but recently one of you, during a time of worship, noticed a person seated in, in the row behind or in front of them and just sort of had this impression, had a picture 
and um, took the time during worship to just write it out on a little note. So I just had this picture from the Lord for you and just a little encouragement and gave it to this person. And it was the exact word of encouragement and comfort that this person needed in the season. And I met with her recently and she shared the story with me and she said, Glenn, it was so moving. I actually went to a, a, like a Hobby Lobby or something to find a painting of the picture that this person described. And then I got that painting and then I put this note in a frame and I framed it up right in my bathroom so that every morning when I wake up, I can remember this is what God is doing in my life. And in the midst of despair and fear and a world falling apart, this word from the Lord is a source of building up encouragement and comfort. That's how this is to work. It could be simple. A note, a picture, a scripture. When we began this series, we we, um, read a few quotes from Gordon Fee, the New Testament scholar, written a number of, of stuff for... Uh, just kind of all of us as Christians, including reading the Bible for all it's worth and all of that. And Gordon Fee says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, the point of everything in corporate worship is not personal experience in the Spirit. Wait, what? I mean, I didn't come to church for me to have a person. No, but building up the church itself. The building up of the community is the basic reason for corporate settings of worship. Listen, guys, if we don't understand that, it's going to be easy to stay home on a Sunday morning. Because, well, I'm fine. I'm doing good. I'm okay. I'll just catch the podcast later. The building up of the community is the basic reason for corporate settings of worship. They should probably, to put it mildly, not be turned into a corporate gathering for a thousand individual experiences of worship. I was at a conference a year or so ago and a well-known worship leader recording artist opened up the conference by saying, listen, I just want to be the backdrop to your personal time with the Lord today. And I thought, well, why did I come? I flew a long way for this guy. I should have stayed home. I've got your, I can Spotify your album. If I really like it, I might buy it. I mean, I, I I can access this. Corporate worship is not a soundtrack for your personal experience with God. It's the occasion for us to allow the Holy Spirit to use us to build up the church. So when you, when you sit at home on a Saturday and you're like, eh, shimmy, eh, shimmy, eh, don't just ask yourself what you would be missing out on if you don't go. Ask yourself what the church is going to miss out on because you don't come. Don't just ask, well, what am I missing out? Well, I'm not missing out on much. I'm, I'm fine. Ask it, what's the church going to miss out on? Because you didn't come. Because you didn't show up. What if you have a gift you're supposed to deliver to someone? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I'll stay home. Keep the UPS truck parked for a few days. So no, someone is counting on this gift. So how do we use the gift of prophecy. Well, very practically, I think you can tailor your delivery to the situation. Okay, Paul says it this way. He says, the spirit of the prophets are under the control of the prophets. You don't have to take on a certain voice. You don't have to talk in a particular way. You don't have to summon up King James English, Shakespearean phrases. The Lord says, to be or not to be. Anyway, right? you can just be yourself. 
If you're normally weird, be weird, you know? If you speak in a normal voice, speak in a normal voice. A couple days ago on First Wednesday, you know, we're doing this thing now at New Life of all of our congregations are welcome to come on a first Wednesday of each month for extended time of worship and prayer. And, and I, I went up to kind of encourage a time of people circling up to pray over one another. And, and uh, during that time, I look, I'm on the stage and I'm watching this beautiful scene of people circling up and just giving little words and scriptures. It's just incredible. And I look over and my kids are with me and uh, I see this lady who I don't know um, talking to one of our daughters. And, and, uh, and it seemed like she was very gentle. She, you know, she bent low, which is a great tip for talking to a child, is meet them at their eye level and all this stuff. She's very gentle with them. And uh, I said to my daughter afterwards, I said, well, what was that about? And she said, this lady, I don't know who she is. She said, do you by chance play the piano? She's like, yes. <laughs> She's like, okay, because I got this picture of you playing the piano and I just felt the Lord is saying da 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 And it was just the sweetest thing. And... You know, as a parent, you kind of know all the different reasons why that was significant. There's a gift someone delivered, and they were able, able to tailor their delivery to a child. They didn't go, come here, you women of the Lord, why? You know, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I'm out of here, you know. Secondly, Secondly, test the word and discern its application. We won't read the story, but Acts 21 tells the story of a well-known prophet named Agabus who gets this vision for Paul. And he says, Paul, I have this vision that when you go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you up. And he takes his belt off. He even does this whole dramatic reenactment of of his vision and all this stuff. And, And Paul says, yeah, no, I know that's going to happen. The prophet's like, you did? He's like, right. But I'm supposed to go anyway. And he's like, oh, well, carry on then, you know. So uh, the Lord may use you to deliver its word, but the person still has to discern its application. The Lord may use you to deliver a word, but the person who's receiving it, why? Because every believer has the Holy Spirit. So we're not, this isn't like, uh, you know, in, in, in the age of the Old Testament where the prophet speaks the word and everyone's like, okay, well, I guess we've got to do exactly, you know. This is the age where the, 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 the prophet carries a, a little insight, a little revealing word of what the Lord is doing, and then you say, huh, let me pray about how that applies. The gift of prophecy has this revealing uh, element to it. All right, let's switch gears for a moment and talk about the gift of tongues. This one is um, maybe one of, the, one of the most beautiful, powerful, devotional um, and even missional gifts in some of its use and manifestations, and yet has probably also been the gift that's turned a lot of people away from thinking about the Spirit, right? Because isn't one of the myths about the, Holy, about the gift of tongues is that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I have to say to you that at New Life, we don't believe that. We believe that every Christian, the moment of of inviting Jesus into your life. It's the Holy Spirit who comes into your life. It's the Spirit of Christ who comes into your life. It's the Holy Spirit who, Paul says, you wouldn't even be able to say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit. It's not about tongues. The second thing we kind of trip up about is maybe this myth that tongues must be the most important gift. Well, Paul, we just heard, kind of says something very different. He's like, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but actually I'd prefer you, you prophesy because those who prophesy are more important. 
You're like, Paul, didn't you do this whole like body metaphor? No one part is greater than the other. Why are you saying this? Because Paul's trying to say the gifts are meant to lead to the common good. So tongues has its role, but, but look, in the end, we need to be turning outward toward one another. So kind of a third maybe misconception that has maybe a few different ways to tackle this is the notion that every time you speak in tongues, you have to have an interpreter. And I, I would say what Paul is saying is publicly, yes. But he seems to hint that there is a devotional use of the gift of tongues in which a re, an interpreter is not required. All right, let me, let me map this out for you. Number one, the gift of tongues is a way of communing with God through the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. This is because those who speak in a tongue don't speak to people, but to God. No one understands it. They speak mysteries by the Spirit. This seems to be a little bit different than the Acts 2 thing where the gift of tongues was actually languages, right? That people, certain people understood. Now Paul's saying there's kind of a gift of tongues that maybe it's the tongues of angels, however you want to talk about it, but nobody understands it. And then he says in verse 27, if some speak in a tongue, then let two or three at the most speak. He's talking about in a church setting, one at a time and someone must interpret. However, if there is no interpreter, then they should keep quiet in the meeting. They should speak privately to themselves and to God. This is Paul saying there is a private devotional use of the gift of tongues. You don't need to say it out loud from the microphone if there's not going to be an interpreter, but it is a part of your worship before the Lord. The gift of tongues is a way of communing with God through the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the gift of tongues is a way of building ourselves up. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14. People who speak in a tongue build themselves up. Those who prophesy build up the church. So here's that image again. Every time we bring a word, a revealing word to someone, we're, we're putting another brick on the thing that God is building in their life. But guess what? There's also a way for you to build yourself up. And Paul says, when you pray in, in, in the gift of tongue, speak in the, a tongue, you're building yourself up. And this isn't bad because a strong you is what leads to a strong church, right? So again, so long as we understand that the building ourselves up is not so we can say, well, that was great, feel much better, you know, but so that we understand now that I've built myself up, I can turn outward and build others up, then we begin to recognize even the devotional use of this gift ultimately will lead in blessing the church. So thirdly, the gift of tongues is an expression of prayer and praise. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 15, Therefore, those who speak in a tongue should, be, should pray to be able to interpret. But then he says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind isn't productive. What should I do? I'll pray in the spirit, but I'll pray with my mind too. I'll sing a psalm in the spirit, but I'll sing the psalm with my mind too. This is Paul saying, you don't have to choose one or the other. That both things can be part of your life. Pray with your mind. Pray without your mind fully being in the driver's seat. Sing with your mind and sing with the Spirit. Allow this to be part of your prayer and of your praise. So this morning... My heart for us is to not turn away from any of the gifts. 
I know there's some of them who are like, oh, really, gift of wisdom, I need that. That could really have some application for these business decisions. Truly. But there's applications for all of these gifts. And that in the end, what Paul is saying is, don't seek this so you can be more spiritual. Seek this because somebody else is waiting on the other end of this. Somebody else is waiting for a gift that just might show up in them because of you. Because you were willing, because you were open. So Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Desire this. Be hungry for this. Don't relegate this to sort of a part-time thing or an extra credit work. Say, you know what? I want to be a fully functioning member of the body of Christ. I want to be a contributing piece of this community. I want to show up with graces coming out of me for others to be able to receive this. And even if it is a gift of tongue that, that ha- is not a missional use or a, or a corporate use, but it, even a gift of tongue that is a devotional use, well, I want that too. Paul says, I pray in the Spirit more than any of you. Implying that there's something hidden about his use of this that maybe nobody knew, but he's saying, look, but you're, you're benefiting from the fruit of him building himself up. I first um, received, someone prayed for me for the gift of, of tongues when I was about eight or nine years old. And um, this may surprise you, but I was a very skeptical kid. <laughs> I know. And... Um, I wanted to understand everything, and I wanted to make sure I was doing it right, and I wanted to make sure, how do I know exactly, I mean, what if I'm just making this up? And I had a, a, a teacher in our children's ministry say something to me like, you, you know, this the metaphor of when a tap has been off for a long time. If you've ever had to shut off the water in your home, and then all of a sudden you turn it back on, you, every tap in the house, as soon as you turn it on, it's like, sputters. And then like dirt comes out and sediment and brown water. And you're like, what, what's in our pipes anyway, you know? And then, and then you, just, but you just keep letting it run and all of a sudden, it, wow, hey, look, hey, water's it's great. And to not be afraid that the Lord is somehow going to rebuke you for trying to let a gift flow through you and it didn't quite come out cleanly. You know, it's kind of clumsy. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what if I was just making up phrases? Or what if I imagined that picture? What if I was just saying that because I know that person? What if the Lord is just sputtering through you for a moment? And what if over time it becomes a nice, clean flow? What if the gifts have just been dormant in your life? And you're like, it's been a long time since I've asked God to give me a word for someone. And maybe this morning it's like, it's going to come out like a sputtering tap. That's okay. I'm telling you, the Father, the Father's heart is so eager to bless His kids. He's not looking for reasons to punish you. He's not looking for reasons to say, He's going to say, yeah, let's keep this going. Let's keep this going. So my heart for you is kind of an innocence, a childlike hunger to say, all right, let's do it, Lord. Uh, that sounds awesome. 
but not for me, but for him and for her. And what if parents ask the Lord for words for their kids? What if spouses ask the Lord for insight into each other's lives? I know some husbands are like, I need the gift of wisdom for my marriage, right? And what if all of us said, Lord, just, Holy Spirit, would you just empower me for all of this? I, I, I just, just want your grace to show up in me for the sake of others. Amen? Did you bow your heads this morning?